Just southeast of Mayflower, tornado reportedly crossing Interstate 40. A, a spotter indicated the tornado was one half mile wide. Valonia, I want you to take cover right now. This is a town that's dealt with tornadoes in recent history. not by my might, but by your power, Lord, because <laughs> um, I know I can't save my children from a tornado, but I know you can. Second, we were able to get up out of that closet. We raised our hands to the Lord, and we praised him with everything in us. The flood of people coming in was overwhelming, and it really brought tears to my eyes, and, um, you know, and all of a sudden there was a sense of relief from all the support that we were getting from uh, complete strangers. The sign of love that we felt from y'all being out here as a, a direct representation of his love in my life. Grieve for us, it's okay. Grieve for us, pray for us, because we are a body, we are one body in Christ. And when the hand hurts, so does the head. <laughs> um, so I know y'all are hurting with us, and I thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts for all your prayers, for everything you've sent us. We were just overwhelmed. Um, and I'm just so proud and thankful to be a part of, of, of the church. Well, good morning. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site campus, uh, on the internet, or here in one of the venues at Long Point. We're glad that you guys are along too. How many of you are glad? Would rather be here than on the best beach in Charleston right now. Okay, I'm testing your honesty. There's a whole bunch right here that are very honest, saying, no, I'm going to the beach. Well, we're glad you stopped by on the way. <clears throat> the video, why don't we show that? Uh, happened a couple of weeks ago. Remember the tornadoes in Arkansas? And um, my wife saw it first and she said, well, isn't that where our friends Rick and Michelle Bizet live? And I said, well, yeah, it's right in that area. In fact, if you saw that whole area that was devastated, that's 41 miles long and it's uh, two miles from where Rick and Bizet live, or Rick and Michelle live. And uh, so I text Rick, I said, man, are you guys okay? And he said, yeah, but there are a lot of people in our church that are you know, pretty devastated from this whole thing. And so <clears throat> we, uh, we sent him some money and uh, because a lot of times, we, we can't get a team down that fast enough. They have a large church, they have teams, but you need resources during those times. And so um, we immediately sent him some resources from our disaster relief funds that we keep. <clears throat> and um, and uh, they're up on the way and they, they've become the leading church in the area uh, for really being the hands of Jesus extended. And so it's just a partnership that we have, we want to tell you about. Well, I invited Rick, before all of this happened, I invited Rick to come and speak. Uh, Rick is one of my close, close friends. Uh, love this guy. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about the background story is a lot of you know that we're, I'm president of the ARC, Association of Related Churches. Well, Rick is one of the board members, founding board members, and, and also uh, he pastors uh, one of the first churches that we started on the first day 
uh, 13 years ago in February, we started two churches, uh, Rick and his best friend, Chris Hodges. Uh, Chris Hodges Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama, and he's one of our overseers. Rick is also one of our overseers here at Seacoast, and Rick started in Little Rock, Arkansas, our first churches that we planted in the ark. Now, we've planted together about 420 churches now, but these churches have done all right. Uh, Rick's church has grown, uh, in fact, a couple of years ago, magazine called it the fastest growing church in America. This Easter, they had over 20,000 people uh, in, that, uh, in that new church plant, which, I, which I'm excited about. But he's a, great, he's a great friend, great guy, one of the funniest uh, one of the funniest guys I know. And he's written a new book. That's why I asked him to come. I, said, I read the book, endorsed it. I said, you've got to get some of these. We, we need some of these principles. The book is called uh, Be Real uh, Because Fake is Exhausting. How many of you know that fake is exhausting? And so I said, I said Rick, we're in a series. Match the series if you want to. I don't really care. I want to hear your heart because he's one of the most real, authentic guys I've ever met in my life. So why don't you stand and give a great big Seacoast welcome to Rick Bizet as he comes and speaks to us. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, time. Don't worry about okay. that. Okay. All right. Well, turn to somebody next to you and say, you are lucky to be sitting by me. Tell them that. My goodness, man, it's great to be here. I always love being here. Uh, the hand of God is on this church. I got to say, I love the way you guys do life. I love the staff, the serats, the integrity that they have. When you're in the ministry, you're always looking for someone who's doing it right and uh, someone who can teach the word, the staff here, the way they communicate, the worship here. When you get to heaven, you're going to want to come back here on the weekends. I mean, this is a special place. Uh, this is nothing like the church I grew up in. Uh, I grew up in a church that was very legalistic. Uh, no one really wanted to be there. Uh, they all hated each other. The meanest person there was my Sunday school teacher. And uh, I was eight years old, and she, she would point at me. Her finger was 30 feet long, and she would say, you're going to hell. Hell is hot, just like that. Always talking about hell like she was born and raised in hell. I wanted to ask her, I said, does the devil wear product? Because I know you know. And, and, and she would say, don't you want to go to heaven? Not if you're going to be there. Okay, that is what I grew up in. And then I showed up in this church. It was like, man, the hand of God is here. This place is full of the spirit of God, but it's life-giving. And, and people are coming here knowing that they're not perfect and they need God. And a lot of you have found Christ because of that, would you give the Lord a hand for that side of Seacoast Church? I got to say, I'm also very thankful that you guys gave uh, to, to the church, uh, to, to the state of Arkansas with the tornado relief. And I, I love the way that you guys love the church, which is the bride of Christ. And we need to love the bride of Christ. We've got a lot to work on. Uh, he's going to come back one day with a church that's ready, without stain or wrinkle. The only way to get out stains and wrinkles is to, to apply a lot of pressure and heat. And, uh, and I know that we're going to get better through time, but we have to love the church. This church has always loved the church. It's the bride of Christ. Don't you think that's important to God and Christ? Uh, you come to my home and you say, I love you, Rick, but I hate your bride. I'm going to taser your face off <laughs> because I want you to love me and my bride, all right? So outrageous stuff that Jesus said. Uh, there's a verse uh, that, that the Lord referred to. It's actually 
It was, sp- it was spoken about in Isaiah. And in Matthew 13, it says, In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. We, we don't want to get to this place where we hear the word, but we don't, we don't try to get it. Now, let's be real about that. He said, you will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. It continues. For, for this, people's hearts will become calloused. It can get to a place where you reject the things of God and, and the move of God in your life to where you're calloused. And the Bible says your ears will not be able to hear and your eyes will no longer be able to see. And when it's morning, you'll wish it was night. And when it's night, you'll wish it was morning. And you just really don't have a measure of what's going on, the reality of everything that's happening around you. For, for this, people's hearts, they become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their ears or, or their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. And then I would heal them. And I think this is all related to the condition of your heart. Someone said it this way years ago, and I took note of this. They, they said that the same sun that shines down on the planet, it will harden clay and melt wax. It just depends on the substance that it's being applied to. And I want to encourage you to, to, to be a substance that God can change when you need to be changed. But a lot of us, we just get tougher, we get hard-hearted, and, uh, and, I, and I think if we would get real, it, it, because this is how you change, just to get honest. A lot of times we will not be totally honest and above suspicion in the eyes of God and man, like Scripture says. Just being real. In, in corporate America, I was thinking about this, the slogans that they have, uh, this is the way they want to be seen. But if we were to give them a slogan that's more honest, it would look different. Here's a few of them just to have fun for a second. Denny's, America's diner is always open. That's the way they want to see it, but, but this is the way we see it. No other choice at 2 a.m. <laughs> all right, let, let's keep going, all right? Okay, Natural Valley Granola Bars. The energy bar life intended. The way we see it, crumbs everywhere. Okay, one more, NyQuil, yes. The nighttime sniffling, sneezing, coughing, aching, stuffy head fever so you can rest medicine. How do we see it? Slip into a coma uh, for a few hours. Okay, I don't, I don't know how you want to be seen, but we, we have this thing that we want to show, but then we have the reality of the way that we are. Now, I want to talk to you about this outrageous idea that the Lord has that when we get honest and we, when we get real, he's able, he's able to move. You can see it in parables. I, I'm going to speak about one of them. It, it's not even necessarily the, the best one on this subject, but, it, but it's a good one to look at. If we, we'll get honest, I think we can learn. In Luke 14, verse 16, Jesus said this. These are words in red ink. It's very important to get this side of the word. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited. Look what he said, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field, I gotta go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, well, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, well, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported to the master who represents the Lord here. Then then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, all right, go out quickly into the streets and alleys and other town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, 
and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. And the master told his servant, all right, go out in the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I want to break down four things that I think we can learn in this passage of scripture. But I do believe that God would want us to learn these principles early instead of late because he loves us. He doesn't mind us learning from difficult situations, but he would love, because he loves us, he would like for us to learn early. It's like raising kids. I have four kids, and I want them to learn things early. They don't always learn early, but because I love them, I don't raise them this way. I don't say, hey, you're four years old today. Come on over here. I want to teach you about electricity and some other stuff. Uh, Here's an outlet. Now lick your finger. Let me show you something real quick. Now lick it. Now stick it in there a little deep. See? Yeah, that's right. Now get back up. All right, get back up. Don't, don't ever do that again, all right? That is bad. Don't do that, all right? Now take that same finger over to this preheated stove, and, uh, and I want to show you what a hot fire can do to you. All right, now stop crying. That's enough for today. But tomorrow we're going to teach you about traffic and what it can do to you. Okay, now how many know you wouldn't raise your kids that way? Well, the Lord doesn't want you. He doesn't want you learning just because of life circumstances, he's not going around trying to create pain so you can learn. He would much prefer you to learn early. So let's see if we can learn from this. Number one, he, he, he said in verse 17, come for everything is now ready. The first point, Lord, I'm ready. This is what the Lord wants to know is for you to know, come for everything is now ready. Could, could you look here for a second? Every campus, everyone. The Lord wants you near. He wants you close by. The church I grew up in, I never knew that. I never knew that God wanted to do anything in my life. I thought he was always mad at me. I thought he hated me. Uh, I remember counting down the days when I turned 18, I'm never coming back to church again. But, But through the years, I found out that the Lord... He wants to use me. Do you know how many people are out there running away from God because they think God is mad at them? And this is their mindset, and it's it's theologically in error. They think, oh, I'm going to get my life together one day, and after I get it back together, then I'm going to go and serve the Lord. (laughs) No, you can't get your life together without him. He wants to be in on the equation. I remember years ago, I was doing a survey and teaching through the Word of God, and and I did a survey, and I asked everybody in the church uh, that was there throughout that class to write down the word condemnation and conviction. I said, write down these two words, and then I want you to, to, to say and share what you think is the definition of both. Now, the reason I did this is because I knew most people didn't know the difference between condemnation and conviction. And so they wrote down that the definitions were similar. But let me describe the two real quick. Condemnation is from the adversary, from the enemy, and condemnation always moves in when you make a mistake. And we've all made many mistakes. Raise your hand if that's true. Raise your hand if you ever lied before. Well, you better raise your hand now because you're lying in church if you don't. And God will kill you, all right? Okay, we, we've all made mistakes. And, and, and so when condemnation shows up, it's like you lost your temper and condemnation shows up and says, you see how you are? You're not right with God. You can't even keep your temper straight. Condemnation shows up to condemn you, to leave you there to die, and then you're just stuck. Conviction is from the Spirit of God, and it's totally different. Conviction shows up on the same scene, but the Spirit of God, his job is to draw you to the Father 
So the Holy Spirit shows up and says, yesterday when you lost your temper, it's hurting some people. So I want you to go to the Lord and get this right, and then I'm going to show you how to restore these relationships that are around you. Conviction always gives you hope. This is great news. Now, what I don't like about serving God, I always forget that the Lord wants me closer. This is a real problem. I'm in the ministry. It would help me to know that. But, but I've noticed that a lot of people have forgotten that. In my home, this is how I learned it. Uh, you know, I'm always frustrated with the Lord because it's hard for me to hear the voice of God. It, it always has been. I've been in ministry now for 26 years. And I will hear from him, but it takes me a long time. And so I remember frustrated. I was frustrated. I said, Lord, why don't you speak louder? It was like in a prayer session in my backyard one night. Lord, what? You could, you're God. You can, you can crank up some serious decibels. But I never can hear your voice. It's so hard. So I didn't get anything even in that. So that day, we were loud because I'm a Cajun. I'm from Louisiana. We, we eat stuff that lives in a ditch, and we're loud. Okay? All right. But, but I, and one person in my family, Grace, who's a whisperer, and we're all loud. And this is loud, eating loud, laughing loud. And we hear, it's like, what is it, a mosquito? And it, we no, it's Grace. So we go close to Grace, what do you want? I just want to say, hey, you know what, so then we say, okay, well, thank you, and we go back to what we're doing. One day, the Lord showed me the reason why he whispers, like in the Old Testament, his voice wasn't in the thunder and the earthquake and the fire and the wind, it was in the whisper. Why? Because you've got to be in close proximity to hear a whisper. And, and I want to tell you that the reason why God wants you around is because he wants to have a relationship that counts. And he's saying, come, for everything is now ready. Please come over. I want you around. But a lot of us, we don't have space in our calendar. John the Baptist spoke about the Lord coming, and this is what he said. He said, look, clear out the way. Make room in your schedule. Give it some time. Give some space. Jesus is coming, and he wants to be around you. Back in these days when this parable was taught about the banquet, the, the host could not give you an, an exact date. Because they, they didn't have refrigerators to keep everything ready. They had to wait till the calf was fat and they didn't know what the weather was going to be like. They didn't have an app for that. And so they, they had to wait. They, they would just say, hey, in about 30 days we're going to have a banquet. And, and, and they couldn't give you the exact date. But then one day the servant would show up and say, now is the time. And you just showed up because you cleared out some space. I believe because of the way that we travel through life. The, the speed of life. Some of you are traveling through life at Mach 2. And you love the Lord. You want to do something for God. But there's no room in your schedule to be at a banquet. To sit down with the Lord and, and be around him. And, and it hurts us in a lot of relationships. Because how many enduring relationships have you built in your lifetime when you're traveling through life at Mach 2? It takes someone to settle and, and, and to be around, to, to have intimate time. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to go to heaven. Uh, real quick, how many of you want to go to heaven someday? You want to raise your hand on that one in case he's watching. Because uh, we're all going to die. I mean, you can Google it when you get home. It's like one out of one, I, I promise. And uh, even if all you do is eat healthy food that's nasty, uh, the only difference between you and I is you're going to die with a nasty taste in your mouth, and I'm going with double meat cheeseburgers. All right, but one day when you get to heaven and you see the enormity of God and the power of his name, maybe there's a chance you'll look back to now and you'll say, 
why didn't I live on earth differently with more confidence? If I would have known that God was this big, if I would have, if I would have known I would have spent more time with him, I would have dreamt more. Maybe this is what, this is conjecturing a little bit, but the scripture says when we get to heaven, he's going to wipe away our tears, which means tears have to be there for him to wipe them away. Maybe this will be what happens. Who knows? But maybe we'll look back to now and we'll say, why didn't I go for it more? Dream more. Why was I ball and chain to Seacoast Church? When it was time to give, why did I pull back? Why was I so afraid when it was time to serve? Why did I let everybody else do it? I never showed up at the table. I didn't show up when it was game day. Why didn't I live my life with a little bit more room and margin? Number two, Lord, I have no excuses. I just want to encourage you to be real because a lot of times our excuses this is what that verse says. It says, but, but they all alike. This is the way we all tend to be. They began to make excuses. I want you to think about some of the heroes of the Bible. I'll go through some of them. It's kind of funny, but also important to know. Jonah, he could have he made excuses. He could have said, I already blew it. I ran in the exact opposite direction. But God still used him. Noah, he could have said, I got drunk last night. I can't do anything for you. Abraham could have said, I'm way too old to be used by you. The Bible says he was 100 years old when God said, go to babies or us, it's time. <laughs> That's nasty. Okay. Isaac, he could have said, I'm ADD, a daydreamer. Jacob could have said, I'm a deceiver, I'm a liar, I've blown it. Gideon could have said, I'm too afraid, I'm too weak, I'm the worst one around here. Moses could have said, I killed someone. Moses brought down the Ten Commandments, and one of them said, Thou shalt not murder, but he still came down from the mountain, even though he was a murderer. He killed an Egyptian with a knife. He could have had an excuse there. Rahab, she could have said, Well, I was a prostitute. Samson could have said, I like prostitutes. David could have said, I'm an adulterer, and I covered it with murder. Elijah could have said, I'm depressed and suicidal. Isaiah could have said, You know, I, I, I preached naked for, for three years, which is also nasty. And then John the Baptist, he's probably my cousin. He could have said, I, I've been eating too many bugs. And, and Jeremiah could have said, I'm just too emotional. This guy probably took bubble bass listening to Michael Buble on Pinterest, all right? Peter, he could have said, I denied the Lord when I, when I didn't need to. Zacchaeus could have said, I'm too little. Paul could have said, I'm too religious. Elijah, I'm too suicidal. Thomas, I'm too negative. Timothy, too many stomach ulcers. Lazarus, he certainly had an excuse. <laughs> That's funny right there. I don't care what you say. For those that are newcomers to the word of God, he could have said, I was dead for three days. <laughs> Any excuse is insulting and ridiculous. Number three, Lord, I'm broken. You know, the book I, I wrote, it, it came from this passage of scripture in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22, where it says, draw near to God with a sincere heart. Okay, let's pause just for a second. Let me, let me get real with you on this. A lot of people, they want the Lord to do something in their life. They truly love God. This is not the problem, generally speaking. But the problem is they're just waiting around for something big to happen so they can upgrade their relationship with the Lord. I think it's very important you understand that it's your move. This is what the Lord is saying. Give me something to work with. 
And, and the scripture makes it clear. You draw near to God with a sincere heart. He's looking for someone to be authentic. You are looking at a person, I was really good at faking my relationship with God. Even in Bible school, this is how it comes together for me, and it's pretty intense, but, but I'm going to say it and move on. When I was in Bible school, it was, uh, it was intense, but, uh, but I, I love lear- learning the word, but I didn't like this over, overriding, this idea, this, this, this belief that they thought that if you're going to be in the ministry, then you have to always appear that you're strong. You're the anointed one. Ministry is lonely. You can't get close to anyone. And you have to always look like you have your A game at all times. The reason why I like the Surratt so much is because they do not live like that. They are sincere. If I'm on the phone with Greg more than five minutes and something is difficult in his life, something that's frustrating to him, he's going to let me know about it. He's sincere. But that's not the way I was raised in Bible school. So, so I remember thinking, I'm not going to have any friends. I'm not going to be so lonely. And they said, don't get close to people. Touch not the anointing. Familiarity will destroy what you're trying to do. And you, you sit in chairs on the stage and you stay at a distance. And, and you have to be right with God. You represent the Lord and you have to ace it at all times. Like, there's a lot of pressure. So I remember when I graduated from school, I also went into ministry full time and I got married. And my, my wife and I, we have a great marriage. But our first year was messed up. It was like wars and rumors of wars in my house. You know that verse says, don't go to bed with anger in your heart? We were staying up for like 10, 12 days at a time. <laughs> and I, I remember just the fight. So one day, okay, this is a true story. One day she's saying something to me and we're, we're fighting all the time. And it's always by me. But I, I look at her, looked at her and I said, Michelle, I've got to prepare a sermon. I was going to be speaking to a huge church. It was my first time to ever be in front of a large crowd. And I was under pressure. I said, Michelle, you just shut up. I don't have time for this. I'm sick of you. Just shut up. You're ridiculous. And I just left her there and she broke up. I'll never forget the sound I heard from her. So then I go in my office and I'm, and I'm praying. And, and I, I knew I needed to ask the Lord to forgive me. And I knew I needed her to, to forgive me. So I, I settled that account. What happens next though is where it gets weird. After I asked the Lord to forgive me and I went in there and reconciled with Michelle, she looked at me and she said, who are you? She goes, are you the, is, is the real person the one who's speaking at church or is the real person the one here at home? Which one am I married to? And I said, Michelle, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I'm gonna figure it out. But I didn't have anyone to call. So I went back in my office, and this is where it gets strange, and I don't recommend this for anyone, but this is how I got this part settled. I went in my office, and I sensed the Lord. And remember, it's hard for me to hear from God, but this one day, I, I knew this is what the Lord wanted. He said, when you speak to the church this weekend, to this huge church, I want you to tell them what you said to your wife. God, I can't do that. God, I'm a pastor. God, they taught us at Bible school never to do that. God, you need to go to Bible school. They, they clear that up like the first semester. So I mean, no, he didn't go with me. So I, I'm speaking that weekend, and it was going really bad, and I just finally closed my notes. And I looked at my wife, and I thought it was over for me at this point. She's on the front row, and I looked at her, and I said, listen. And I told them the story you now know. And I said, Michelle, will you forgive me? My wife was shocked. 
And I said, I'm sorry for the way that. Look, it was in that moment that this verse became alive to me. You draw near to God with a sincere heart. Look, all of us have issues. If you don't think you have an issue, that is your issue. (laughs) None of us are perfect. If you think you're perfect, let me give you a tip. No one likes being around you at all. We all need grace. The Bible says there is no not one, not one righteous, no not one. Our righteousness is filthy as rags. And God is wanting us to know that we, that we are broken. And whenever you get this way, a lot of us say, well, I think that God loves me, but there's one or two things that are in my life. He could never forgive me for those things. And let me just say to you, that when you feel that way, it's, it's almost like saying the cross was good and it was amazing, but it wasn't enough. In one verse, it actually says it's like you're crucifying him all over again. I'm not trying to pile on you, but I'm just saying what he did was enough, and it was enough for everything that you've done. So show up at the banquet. Be with him. God will want a relationship with you. To prove it in scripture, uh, to show the true colors what I'm trying to say. This woman who was caught in adultery, I mean, the religious people found her and, 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 and they threw her in the feet of Jesus. And the, the law said that without Christ, they had to kill her. Without grace. And let me tell you something. Truth without grace is really not truth. And grace without truth is really not grace. Jesus will tell the truth but he'll give you grace to go with it. This woman is about to die, she thinks. She's in a fetal position, perhaps. I'm conjecturing a little bit, but they're about to throw rocks at her, and they said, let's kill her. That's what the word says. It's entrapment for Christ. And the Lord said, all right, let's kill her. He said, but let's do it this way. Let's let the one who's without sin throw the first rock. And then he reaches over and he writes in the ground. We don't know what he wrote, but I sure wish we knew what he wrote. And Billy Graham said, it's the only sermon Jesus ever wrote. And all of a sudden, these guys are looking at this, dropping the rocks and walking away. And this is where it really gets specific and very much like what I'm trying to share. The Lord looked at her and said, woman, where are those who condemn you now? And she said, they're they're gone. Now she's looking into the eyes of this forgiver. He's really good at forgiving people. And she looks at him and he looks at her and he says, look, I I don't condemn you either. So I want you to go and sin no more. Okay, I know for sure that she didn't leave and go back into a life of adultery. Because there's nothing that can compete with forgiveness from God. There's nothing as good as being close to the Lord. But if the Lord would have said, you're so lucky, I just saved your life. You're a loser. Now get out of here, you loser. Sin no more. She would have went right back into a life of sin. So so I'm here to say that the broken and the lame who were ultimately invited to this banquet, that's not typically who you would want at a party. But what you must know is that that is you and me. We're all broken. But he does it for a reason. What ultimately leads us to number four, Lord, I know you care. He said, compel them to come in. And ultimately it finishes out so that that my house will be full. Okay, I want to brag about your church for a minute because I've thought about this. Lord, what's going on at Seacoast? Your hand is clearly on them. They have integrity. They do it right. But there's something going on. And I'm going to tell you, I think it's related to this topic. 
You guys are always compelled to bring in those that are hurting. You, you somehow are addicted to seeing people come here and find Christ. Bring in your friends. I heard Greg say years ago, you will never understand the vision of this church until one of your friends comes here and finds the Lord here. Oh, it's always going to be good for you, but it's, it's really going to be good when you see that. Because God is, he's begging. He said, this is my place. I want it to be full. I don't want an empty chair. I want it to be full. I want people to find me. I want you to go everywhere. Do anything you can to win a soul. This is the Great Commission. And, and Christianity, we, we may be going to heaven, but we're not enjoying the trip. And I think it has a lot to do with, we, we're not winning people to Christ sometimes. But thank God this church trends that way in an aggressive way. In Arkansas, which is where I live, I started the church and when I first went there, I could sense that there was a lot of apathy around the subject of soul winning. They, they just, they would tend to pull back. It was a lot like the people who grew up around Jesus in his hometown. They never really saw any miracles. They saw Jesus as a name they were familiar with, but not as the Messiah. And so there was no miracles around them. It was just really dry. So in Arkansas, this is what I noticed, and I wanted them to get it. So one day I told them the story, and I'll give it to you right now. And, and we changed everything. And over the last 13 years, we've had over 35,000 decisions for Christ and uh, over 25,000 water baptisms. And it's because we learn from you guys. Now, I told them one day, I said, my daughter Haley, when she was four years old, she was strong-willed. She's still really strong-willed. Raise your hand if you're strong-willed, everyone, please. Okay, the real strong-willed people say, I ain't raising my hand. I'm strong-willed. I do what I want to do. Don't tell me what to do. She's strong-willed, and she watched a Hallmark movie, and the Hallmark movie was a 13-year-old girl who had ran away from home, and she thought, that looks fun. I want to try that, but I don't want to wait till I'm 13. I want to do it now, like when I'm four, but my parents are always paying attention, so I have to do it at night when they're sleeping, and I don't want to go alone, so I'm going to bring my two-year-old brother with me. Okay, this is her reasoning. So she talks to him. They have this little chat I found out later, and uh, she convinces him. She packs the wagon. She's got her dolls in there, Skittles. I don't know why. She put his diapers in there. I do know why she put his diapers in there. And uh, so she wakes up in the middle of the night, not by an alarm clock. She's four. She doesn't know how to set one. Her will woke her up. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Just all of a sudden. It's time. And she goes in there, tries to wake him up, and he doesn't get up. And he says, I'm too little. Go without me. She said, loser. And she went out, grabbed a wagon, left our house. We're sleeping. My four-year-old left our cul-de-sac, our street, took a right at the end of the street, another right, then a left all the way out of our subdivision to a four-lane highway. We're sleeping. She took a left on that road and uh, walking and just having a blast. A lady saw her, pulled over, thank goodness it was a good person, pulled over and said, young lady, what are you doing? She said, I'm running away from home and it's just so much fun. <laughs> and the lady said, no, you get in the car, I'm going to take you home. And my daughter said, I'm not allowed to ride in a car with strangers. <laughs> but yeah, she can walk freely on a four-lane highway in the middle of, your family is jacked, you know. So anyway, she... She convinces my daughter, and my daughter just decides to turn around and go home. So she's pulling this wagon. They described to me that she's playing with her dolls every now and then, throwing out my son's diapers and eating Skittles. So finally, there's a knock on the door in the middle of the night. I said, Michelle, you hear that? No, I didn't hear anything. 
Michelle, somebody's at the door. Go see who it is. <laughs> so she didn't go. And, and then I went. Michelle followed me, and I heard this voice. I said, who is it? We didn't have a peephole or anything. So I said, who is it? And this strange lady's voice. I have your daughter. I said, no, you don't have my daughter. My daughter's sleeping upstairs. No, I have your daughter. No, ma'am, you don't have my daughter. Who is this? And then I hear my daughter's voice. Dad, open the door. <laughs> so I open the door, and they're standing there. And you can imagine, we were immediately trembling. I think the lady tried to give her stuff, like my car, my house. <laughs> and then she left. I've never seen her since. We walk in, and my daughter's just standing. We just stared at her for like three days. Okay, that's the end of the story. But I've thought about this a lot. If Haley wouldn't have come home, I'd still be living in that home, in that cul-de-sac in Louisiana. And every time the phone would ring, I would run to the phone so fast to answer. And I, would, I wouldn't even say hello. I would just say, Haley. And every friend I would pick would be based on who was helping me bring her back. And there you have Seacoast Church. It's a church that's bringing lost daughters and lost sons that people thought they'd never see again, or he thought he'd never see again, but because of you. And that's why the hand of God is on this church. I say jump in. If 50% of you get this, then 50% of the sons and daughters that he would want home can come. But if all of us say, I'm gonna do my part, and 100% of the vision can take place. Thus saith the Lord. Amen? Let's bow our heads, no one looking around. And Lord, I sent you here in a big way, and I thank you very much for everything you're doing in this church. God, we want to be real. We certainly want to be sincere. and Ask God that we won't hesitate to go to the banquet, and we will not hesitate to invite guests. We know you want us around. So we say yes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Rick.